stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. It's showtime, it's showtime. Hello, Brave Makers. My name is Tony Gapastone. I am the founder and executive director of Brave Maker. We're a 501c3 nonprofit in Redwood City, California. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm in my studio here with a pink background that says Brave Stories Change the World, a little bit of blue, and I'm a Caucasian male, brown hair, wearing a red t-shirt that says you are the story. And I love getting to do this show every week. And as always, I'm with my partner in creativity and collaboration, Christina Ray Jackson. Hey, Tony, what's going on? Uh, Grand Rising, everyone. It's good to be here. It's our first, well, we've done shows on many different days, but it feels like it's our first morning show. We're doing this live on a Friday morning. Our schedule has been all super wonky for good reasons, because we got a lot of things going on, a lot of projects that we're spinning around, but it's been fun. Christina and I just got to hang out yesterday. Uh, so we'll chat a little bit about that before we bring in our special guest. But Christina, uh, we always start by asking, how are you braving your way? Because it takes one little step at a time to achieve those creative goals. So spin us out. Well, I'm going to jump in there and say how I'm braving my way. I actually, I'm doing, I did that with you this week and that's taking new headshots. And so I got to join Tony in San Francisco at Richard Hughes studio and it was a beautiful sunny day. Uh, we got to take some photos and uh, Richard was amazing. Just gave really good direction. It was a really fun experience. Hey, that's my classmate. Here's Kirsten. <laughs> that's my classmate Kirsten with the glasses. Uh, so yeah, it was cool to see people I recognize up on his wall. Uh, so that's how I'm braving my way with some new headshots. And I was having a little technical difficulties when I started. So let me back up. I'm Christina Ray Jackson. I'm an actor, comic book writer, singer. My pronouns are he, she, they. And I'm an African-American woman wearing the black Superman costume shirt today with some kind of wild blonde curly hair. Sitting in my studio in Devlin, California in my favorite power chair by the company Will. So, yep, that's how I'm braving my way. And I can't wait to see, uh, get those headshots back. Same. Yeah, it was super fun to be yeah. able to shoot with you. And Richard is great. He's kind of become the go-to photographer we recommend here at Brave Maker. And I'm braving my way. We're, well, besides finishing our feature film, which this week we are doing all sorts of things with special effects and coloring and sound and music and, and editing. It's just wild to finish a film like this and so exciting. But I have an idea for my next feature film. And so Braving My Way started with telling it to Christina yesterday. So I said, hey, Christina, here's my idea for this feature film that will include uh, Christina because I want her to act in it. And it was super fun to get that reaction from her. I think you gave me a thumbs up. And uh, I started creating the opening shot of the the film in my mind. And I'm going to, my, my goal is to, start writing it today just page one just do my page one today so that's how i'm braving my way so starting writing my next feature film <laughs> which seems wild to say out loud but you got to move on right you got to keep keep moving forward so the next feature film hopefully we'll be doing this one in 2022 christina what you think yeah that sounds amazing let's put it out there 2022 the sequel <laughs> let's that's get it right. going yeah that's right the sequel all right well we are not here just to talk about ourselves which we could do all day <laughs> but we have uh, a special guest and this person 
has a lot to say about braving her way as well, as we like to say the mantra, brave your own way. Uh, she is an actress and a, a writer in the Bay Area. She is a theater performer. Uh, she is a good friend of mine as well. And I'll also say she's a supporter of Brave Maker. We have 14 people who give on a regular basis, monthly, financially, tax-deductible donations, and she is one of them. I didn't get her permission to share that, so I hope she's okay with that. But it just means so much that she does that. Uh, her name is Teresa Donahoe. Hello, welcome. Hello. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. Hello. Teresa, we've talked about this every single time we do some kind of live conversation together, but we met in San Francisco. I want to say 1999, 2000, 2001, somewhere like that. Yeah, you could probably figure it out because you were working in the San Francisco casting office of Bo Bonneau, also known as SF Casting. And I would come in for auditions and you were behind the desk and uh, we just connected and it was super cool. And then we did a bunch of short films together, like a bunch. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I was trying to pinpoint when did we start talking to each other in the casting office? When did we both find out that we were people of faith? I don't remember that moment. I mean, do you? I just, I don't, it was just kind of a natural thing. You know, you start bantering over that when it's not super busy, people are just chatting and you talk about this all the time in the business that relationships are crucial. And when you can make them naturally without being weird or forced or, <laughs> or awkward, they can benefit. And I've super benefited from knowing you all these years. And I'm super excited to connect you with Christina because you have a lot in common. You're both in the East Bay and going after some of these similar dreams of performing. So I'm going to toss it over to Christina to start. Yes. Let's jump in. Teresa. So I'm a huge comic book fan. I write comic books. I read and breathe them right now. And some of my favorite stories are origin stories. So we'd love to start with your origin story. Where were you born and raised? And how has your upbringing kind of uniquely prepared you for the work you're doing now? Uh, I was born in Oakland, California, uh, which is where I live now. But I wasn't raised in Oakland. I grew up in Contra Costa County. Uh, my mom's from Oakland. My grandmother grew up in Oakland. Um but my mom moved us uh, about a half hour east of Oakland. So that's where I grew up. Um, oh, my pronouns are she, her. <laughs> um, and I'm the fourth born of four kids. And I think that's how prepared me <laughs> I mean, to, uh, to get into performance. Because for some reason, when you're the baby of the family or whatever, um, you love attention. I don't know what that's about. But uh, apparently there's a lot of us <laughs> who are. Like Shonda Rhimes is the youngest of um, multiple siblings, Stephen Colbert, I think he has 11 siblings. I don't know what it's about that, but um, I did my first play in the second grade. You know, we had to audition for a Christmas play. I, play, I played a, a wind up toy doll in the second grade and I had no lines, but I just had to, you know. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, I can do this. <laughs> and so that's, that began, became the beginning of me wanting to perform. From the beginning, out the womb, fourth born has to kind of make a statement like, oh, I got a little competition here for mama and dad's attention. <laughs> well, I, I love that part of your story. And we'll put this in the chat as well as uh, your, if you're listening on the audio version on our podcast, which we encourage you to like and subscribe and share. Or if you're on YouTube, you can also... If you're watching us live, post questions for Teresa. Uh, we always appreciate that interaction. But I love that you have a blog and you your blog is called Late Bloomer as someone who's a fourth born. And you've, you've actually created a lot of your 
performance from your real life. And I've had the privilege of seeing you do a lot of these one woman shows before, which is super fun. So talk about a little bit about, and we'll put the, the, the blog up. So those of you who are watching could see it. Those of you who are on the replay, click the links below, you'll be able to get them, but talk about how you've taken these stories from your real life and turned them into these performance pieces. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even remember how it started. I'm sorry if you can hear that in the background, I live in a studio apartment. Um, I signed up for a class, uh, in my late thirties called transforming the autobiography into creative writing. And I had the beginning of an idea of, of a story which wasn't originally meant for performance. I was just developing my writing more, narrative, uh, not even screenwriting or playwriting, just narrative. And that was the beginning of a story called uh, Late Bloomer. And um, I just wrote the beginning of it and I got feedback from a teacher. This is at a local community college and it, it, it spurred something inside of me. And then this was around 2008. And then when I would close my eyes at night, not only did I see the story, I saw myself performing the story. I saw myself on stage in front of an audience. I saw prop, I saw props and costume changes. And I thought, oh my God, this is a one person show. <laughs> but how do you do that? And so I started uh, seeing one person shows. Carrie Fisher had a one person show at Berkeley Rep. Uh, called Wishful Drinking that was based off of her book that she had written, and it was an autobiography. And uh, I thought I would be intimidated when I saw the show, but I came out of it going, I could do that. <laughs> but, uh, but how do you do that? You know, and so I all I had was this little seed of an idea. And then um, I had a friend who was uh, producing 10-minute plays uh, an independent theater company called uh, All Terrain Theater. And I thought, okay, she might be a lead. And then she, I got on her mailing list and she had an event called Women in Solidarity. And it was women performing 20 minute monologues. And I went and I went, okay, 20 minutes. I can do 20 minutes. <laughs> and so I, uh, I went, I, I watched her I, I mean, I watched the show, Woman in Solidarity. It was in someone's living room, four women doing 20-minute monologues. And I emailed her afterwards, and I said, if you do this again next year, I want in. And then hit send. And then I went, oh, my God, what did I just do? <laughs> and then um, she uh, – I didn't hear back from her right away. I kind of forgot about it. And then I, I saw her at another play that she was producing that was performed at a record store because it's all-terrain theater. You can do theater anywhere. And she said to her producer friend, this is Teresa. If she writes something for Solidarity next year, she's in. And I thought, wow, she has total faith in me. She's She has never seen my writing or seen me perform. But she just, and I asked her about that. And she said, there was just something about you where I knew you would come through. <laughs> and so um, so I get an email. And, we're, and so there's uh, a few of us writers. And they say, okay, we have a theme this year for Women in Solidarity, Cat Ladies. <laughs> I'm such a cat lady. And they said, okay, send us your scripts by such and such a date. I was totally uh, nervous. I never, I hadn't written in a playwright format. I'd taken some screenwriting classes. So I just thought, well, I'll just use the playwright software, wrote a script. They said, and it was about my experience being a cat sitter, cat nanny 911. And <laughs> that was my first feedback where I had to cut my baby in half. They said, this is about half hour. We need 15 minutes. And that's when I learned about editing <laughs> and to get rid of everything that I don't need that will move the story forward. 
And, um, and it was amazing lesson. I was able to get it down to a 12 minute monologue and uh, I performed it and I hadn't done theater in 17 years. And I was very nervous because not only had I not performed theater in, se in 17 years, I've never performed my own writing. <laughs> so it was, uh, I was super, uh, super nervous on top of that, but um, it went over really well. And that's how I got my start. I know I'm, I mean, I could keep going, but uh, do you want me to pause here? <laughs> I actually, I'm so curious. So if you could back up a little bit, how did you go from a wind up doll in the second grade to doing the one woman show? What was in between? Like, what was your, your path for that? Uh, I did conventional theater in, you know, junior high, high school. Uh, I did uh, theater in community college. I went into uh, film. I did a lot of stand and work on movie sets and somewhere around, yeah, I guess it was, I felt like I needed to develop my writing and that was in 2008. Um, so up to that point, it never occurred to me to do, to perform my own writing. I just got an idea for a story. I mean, uh, I don't know. That's just sort of how it happened um it's Teresa, I, re I remember so one of your coolest stories and i love that christina that you asked that question like the in between right because it could sound like oh it happened so easily but from doing the wind up toy to you'd paid your dues literally a long time of paying dues as an actor and doing stand-in work and you have a very famous you wrote a blog about this we should post this as well you were a stand-in on the famous scream film the first scream film for nev campbell right so she stood in for the lead and that is a great way to learn filmmaking it's a great way to learn the ins and outs and the craft as well as the business of performing and then i remember you shared a story about getting a commercial like on a was it kind of like a, something happened where it wasn't supposed to happen but you ended up getting placed in a role where you were able to pay rent for i don't know a year or something like that to give you some free i don't know talk about that because i might be missing the details wrong uh yeah uh i i was non-union it was 1995 this is actually before scream um i'm a christian and i was praying to god you know theater or film and then <laughs> i i was doing extra work on a nike commercial and i was background and it was a tennis match between Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi. And I didn't follow tennis. I didn't know who those people were, but um, it was a crowd of maybe 300 of us <laughs> in a circle. And they're playing a tennis match in the middle of an intersection in San Francisco. And we're like, yay, we're all cheering. And I guess I was standing next to the director. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm new, I don't know who he is. And he says to me, oh, this woman, first of all, this other woman, another extra, she got the courage to go, we were, we were roped off all the background. We were all roped off in a circle watching this tennis match. And one woman went under the rope, ran towards Andre Agassi and gave him a big hug, which is a big no, no in background. You're not supposed to ever deal with the principal actors, but um, <laughs> she did. And it got, I guess it got a good reaction. So the director who I was standing next to looks at me and he says, go out there and kiss Pete. And I'm like, okay, which one's Pete? So I climb under the rope and I just run up to the other tennis player and I give him a big hug and the camera caught it. Um, 
And then all these people started dogpiling on top of us or whatever. And I forgot about it. And then uh, six months later, I get a call from the ad agency and they say, it w- well, it was originally was a 30 second spot. And they call me and they say, we've, uh, it's now a 60 second spot. You're in it and we're going to pay you for it. And I got mailed a contract to me. Uh, I got upgraded on a Nike commercial six months later, and I was now eligible to join the Screen Actors Guild. So I'm one of those fortunate people, uh, if you see it this way, that's it, (laughs) who's never had a union problem. (laughs) And that I was eligible about a year um, into me doing background work. Okay, here it comes. I'm in. Oh, where did it go? <laughs> did we <laughs> miss uh, it? I think that might be the 30 second spot. <laughs> oh, is it the 60 second one? <laughs> okay, I'll have to look for it. But, but I can that's show just you- a, that that's 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 just wild, right? The fact that you had this opportunity that was sort of given to you, fell into your lap, and you get these residual checks, right, for something that's like in the blink of an eye. It's amazing, right? And that. That So I never had a union problem in that sense, because you'd hear about people, I'm trying to get my vouchers, I'm trying to, you know, join SAG so I can go to LA. And um, so yeah, I got that out of the gate. I didn't know what I was doing. And then a year after that, I I was still non-union because they say you shouldn't join until it's worth it until you get a job where you can um, pay back the dues. Uh, About a year, yeah, a year later, I get a call from the casting office asking if I interviewing me if I want to do an interview to be a stand-in ah here we go is this the 60 second one purple I'm in a purple sweatshirt come right there there you are (laughs) (laughs) can you believe that can you believe I got residuals for an entire summer for that (laughs) and for those who don't know residuals just mean you're getting regular checks they're basically documenting every time that airs you get 25 cents or a dollar or to whatever it is and if that is airing in a national level you're making a lot of cash and back in the 90s people were making i remember i did a commercial and you just very similar you saw my face for i think it was three seconds and i got five to six thousand dollars for that one three second spot People who were featured and who had longer running commercials could make thirty, forty thousand dollars on a commercial. Just wow! They're not quite paying that much these days, but that really gave you a nice little cushion. <laughs> and then, did, did you have French Laundry as well? Weren't you in a uh, the French Laundry commercial? Talk about that too, because I remember that was a big deal for you as well. And that was all about placement around a table or something. Yeah, so that was 2012. Um, I got called to just do background work. You know, background work on a commercial that was worth it, obviously, especially when you're union. <laughs> and so I showed up uh, Yauntville, I think is where the restaurant is. And, you know, what I I brought, like, this dress that I thought would be good. And I think my hair was probably down. And they took one look at me, and they fixed me. <laughs> and they put me in their outfit put my hair up. And I think that's a huge reason why maybe part of why I got upgraded is they made me look good. Um, so yeah, so they, they took care of all the background with our hair and makeup and then they placed us. Well, originally we were sitting in, uh, we just sat wherever we wanted inside this restaurant. I thought I was sitting at a pretty central table, but they start moving you around and they moved me out of the center table 
way up against the side of the restaurant. And I'm standing next to, maybe Tony, you can explain what a C-stand is. I'm literally next to a C-stand. Now a C-stand. I've got one behind me somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) If you're next to a C-stand, you're not on camera. (laughs) (laughs) And I was literally placed off to the side table next to a C-stand. And I took one look at that and I was like, I'm not getting upgraded. So it was a table of four of us. And we all had a little bit of uh, a course on each one of our tables. We had this tiny little, uh, uh, I don't even know what it was. It was an appetizer of some sort. It was so tiny. That was, and it was real food. And, um, and so they, we just were background eating at a restaurant, eating our tiny little French laundry food. <laughs> and uh, that was that for the day, you know, there was one person on set who we thought, Ooh, that person got upgraded. looks like they got a line. That was that. And then about two weeks later, my boss at work, my day job, uh, she says, Oh, I saw the, uh, that commercials, American express commercial at the French laundry. She says, Oh, I saw you in that commercial. And I said, no, I'm not in it. (laughs) And she said, no, you're in it. I saw you. I get a contract mailed to me (laughs) like, you know, two weeks and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I get, I was told, uh, it was an upgrade. It's two seconds on camera associated with the product and the camera just does a quick pan. I mean, and three of us at the table, the camera pans, but there was one guy who his back was turned to us. I felt bad for him. He was the only one at our table that didn't get upgraded. <laughs> so then I got residuals for a while, just from that upgrade. I want to say for at least a year. So that was pretty amazing. That is so incredibly cool. So how did all those successes start to kind of lead you in the direction where you wanted to focus on your writing and telling your stories? You know, I don't know. I think um, at that point I was in my late thirties and I started to feel like I had something to say. I think when I was in my twenties, I just did whatever was written for me. Um, But by the time I got into my late thirties, I started having an opinion. (laughs) Um, I think, okay, I'm having a memory now. Um, I was doing stand and work on a TV show that I think it was just the pilot. And I don't even remember. Yeah. I don't even think it made it to air. I'm not sure, but they handed me that when you do stand and work, they hand you sides, which is part of the script. And even though you're not in the show, they want you to be familiar with the script uh, the care of the character who you are standing in for just so you can get familiar with the scene. So I'm reading the sides of this TV pilot. And for the first time I was like, wow, this writing is horrible. <laughs> and I never had an opinion before about that. And I just thought, um, Ugh. and I don't know what happened there. I just thought I started to feel like I could write something better. I used to, I loved writing in, high school, uh, English was one of my favorite classes, drama and English were my favorite classes. And I even, and then it it all came back to me when I was a kid. I remember my teachers telling me, oh, Teresa, I love your stories. But it's, so that love for writing sort of came back, I think in my late thirties. So I started a blog and I just started writing faithfully. And then I would post my short stories. It's all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I have all these memories now. Now that I'm in my late thirties, I have all these stories. And so I started posting them on Facebook and I started getting feedback from my friends and they were like, Oh, I really love 
your stories and um, I laughed the whole time that I read them. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm good at this, <laughs> you know? And so that's, so I just started living for writing because I feel like at that point, a lot of the movie work for me, you know, I'm in my late thirties, I'm, I'm over the hill started to feel like, you know, work, I wasn't getting work as much anymore, but I, I realized, oh yeah, I love to write. So then that became my thing. I was just like looking forward to writing all the time, blogging all the time. I was always getting an idea for a story constantly. So that's how I started developing my writing. And I did that. I want to say 2000 consistently 2009 to 2012. So at that point I had like years worth of all these short stories, which looking back, prepared me for my solo performance class. I love that so much. You started to feel like you had something to say and you started saying it and sharing it. And, and that's phenomenal. And that leads us to your one woman show. So as Tony mentioned, I'm, I'm going to acting school in Berkeley near the aquatic park. And I've started kind of a one woman show at the Berkeley Amtrak. I'd love to know about the format of your one woman show. What do you love about it? What is really challenging about it? How do you bring it to life? Um, well, a full length, which should be 60 minutes. <laughs> uh, I didn't start that. They always suggest that you start with uh, shorter excerpts, like 20 minutes max, and perform those. And so I was fortunate that I had the opportunity to perform the first piece I wrote, uh, Cat 9911, which was only 12 minutes. Um, but for me, I found a solo performance class in San Francisco, and I didn't even know that they taught classes <laughs> in um, writing for one-person shows. Uh, there was a, a local comedic actor, such a funny character actor named Michael Summers, who was doing a one-person show at Marsh Theater in San Francisco. And this is in 2013. And I was like, whoa, I got to go to that. So I went, you know, it was great. It was hilarious. And while I was sitting in the theater, they hand you, you know, the programs. And in the program, it says they teach classes. And I was like, they teach classes? <laughs> and so uh, I signed up for a class at the Marsh Theater. And when you do, you take class. And then at the end of class, uh, there's a, a showcase. And everybody gets to perform what they've written. And that's how I started developing um my show. At first, I just did short. I did a lot of short stories. I did a lot of from my blog, right? I had all that material. And then, um, so I did that for a while. And then I think, okay, I'm, now I'm ready to write something longer, which is, a, you know, a whole other process. And so I started collaborating with my teacher uh, and then would write part one, perform it at the end of class, write part two, perform it at the end of class. Um, and, you know, just get, and you get feedback from the teacher and you get feedback from all of your fellow students. And then after you've written a, the whole thing, the, op the opportunities you have are fringe festivals. And uh, most of those are by lottery you submit and, uh, and whether or not you get chosen. I got chosen for the Rogue uh, Fringe Festival in Fresno in 2017. So that was the first time that I got to perform um, my first one person show, which was called Late Bloomer. And that's how, that's how it all started. And um, yeah, I mean, so for me, it was, I had the support of taking this class from this theater that is mostly for solo performers. <laughs> I mean, who knew that there's a community just for that? 
Who knew? That's so wonderful to hear and wonderful to know you have such a pragmatic way of approaching this. It sounds like your formula is faith in something much bigger than yourself and faith in your ability to tell stories and bring stories to life in any way you see fit. Uh, Teresa, this this is amazing. I'd love to know what it felt like the opening night of your first one woman show. You said that was in Fresno. Oh, uh, yeah, that was in Fresno. <laughs> um, uh, it was nerve wracking. I had performed it for friends, like in the living room, you know, because they say that uh, run the whole thing in front of uh, a group of people <laughs> first before, you know, maybe people that, you know, who can give you feedback before you go on stage. Um, it was, I mean, it was nerve wracking. Every audience is different. So when I got to Fresno, one audience may be more receptive than the other. But if you get a good audience, because mine sends I lean towards comedy. So if I'm not hearing those laughs, <laughs> I have to double down. Um, but when I started getting those laughs, then something in me just went, okay, I've got something here. Let's keep going. And then you're just on fire. I mean, once you realize you have the audience. And so that was very uh, exhilarating, you know, uh, when you can get an audience like that, because you're not always going to get a good audience, but um, I shouldn't say that they're bad audiences, but um, some performances are going to feel more successful than others. So, but it's both exciting and nerve wracking. I would like to get better at it. I feel, I feel like I'm still very much just a beginner at this. I remember when you were doing this, Teresa, and I was doing this group called Creative Crew it was before I had started Brave Maker. And I kept inviting her to come perform at our spaces because it was kind of like we were doing sort of a talent night once a month people would come and share and you came about three different times i think and shared you know your uh late bloomer cat nanny there was one other one i think you did i remember it was like madonna maybe that was in late bloomer i forget but i i thought you really put yourself out there and tried to perfect your craft and you were doing these home shows and when i hear you talking I, you know I, I reflect back you yeah like Chrissy, you invested in yourself taking these classes and just practicing and rehearsing and getting feedback and then throwing yourself out there and all these different venues you know going to the fringe festival it's a lot of time and effort but you have been paying your dues and you still feel as if you're learning which i think is kind of a cool thing that you still feel as if you're learning you're never you know, you had to pivot the past year and a half and do things on Zoom, right? You're never fully arrived as she puts her tongue out and frowns her face. So talk about what are some of the hardest things you've had to overcome? We on this show, you know, we always talk about braving your way. Brave is in our name. And I think just being a maker in and of itself is an act of courage because you have to face your fears and the rejection and you have to, you know, sacrifice time and money and energy when you could be doing other things. Uh, what are some of the things you're you're noting of your growth in this process? The things you've overcome and had to rise up above. So uh, sometimes you'll get an audience of two people, <laughs> <laughs> but amazingly enough, and that happened to me at the uh, festival in Fresno. Um, amazingly enough, that was a pretty good show. <laughs> Uh, because one of the person was just laughing the whole time. So, but when <laughs> so, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to perform for two people. That's okay. And um, so and then first in my head, I was like, okay, well, this will be a dress rehearsal. That's what I was kind of thinking in my head, but it really actually went pretty well. And I thought, okay, it, you know, and it, I felt like in some ways it was actually a better show than when I had more people there. And by more people, I mean, 10, 
So, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and then you have other people that have been doing these fringe festivals for years and they have full houses. They're sold out. And I'm like, I don't, you know, they've been doing it for years. And that's what I mean by I'm very much a beginner compared to other people who have been doing um, solo performance for years. They've built an audience. They have a, a huge mailing list. People know their work. They know who they are. Uh, there was one, though, there was one solo performer so accomplished who was uh, there and he really stood out to me. And at the Rogue Festival, they give you um, they'll give you two minutes to pitch your show to an audience. It's like a preview night and everybody gets up on stage and they've got two minutes to sell the audience. What Come out to see my full length show. And they will never forget it. I was sitting in the back of the Tower Theater in Fresno. Martin Dockery, I think that's his name. He got up on stage and he grabbed the microphone and he talked for two minutes how he performed at a festival. I think it was in Australia under a tent. No one was there. He says, I literally could hear crickets. I performed to crickets. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I love you. <laughs> you know? And it just stayed with me so much. I thought, well, if Martin Dockery can perform to crickets, I can perform to two people. <laughs> that is great advice and inspiration. <laughs> you just can't censor yourself and it takes time and you recognizing that some of these performers have been around and building audiences and have mailing lists is what you have to aspire yourself to. So, right. You, they all started somewhere too. You know, they started performing to crickets and the two people and then the 10 people and then the sold out show. So that's so fantastic. It just reminds me again, keep going. This business takes consistency. The overnight success is a lie. It's a sham. Uh, it takes sometimes 20 years to build a career in which you can live off of it. If that sometimes we all have to work separate jobs. I've been in this business 25 years in this business and I'm still working multiple jobs and, you know, not providing for myself or my family with one source of income. It's multiple revenue streams while I'm creating, writing, directing, and all that kind of stuff. So keep going after those. It's so great. Well, do you want to tell us about the Marsh performance that's coming up? You have one coming up in a week. Oh my gosh. Uh, so, uh, October 4th and the 18th, I'm going to perform the first 20 minutes of my second full-length show called Born Again in Berkeley. Um, I started this show a couple years ago. I was in the middle of working on another show in my solo performance class called Confessions of a White Mexican, <laughs> where I got sort of detoured. Um, I started talking. Oh, that's the one I remember. That's the one. That's the other one that you, you performed. I, I love that one. So I, I was in the middle of Confessions of White Mexican, going over it in class with my teacher, David Ford, who's just the most awesome soul. He's just the most awesome teacher ever. And I got really emotional when I started talking about being a person of faith in the Berkeley area. And um, he contacted me afterwards and he says, I want to hear more about that. So this is uh, probably early 2018. Uh, he says, we're putting on a festival called Times Unseen. Um before the midterm elections, because times unseen, like, you know, Donald Trump is president. How did this happen? These are times unseen. And he wanted to hear stories about people who um, had some insight on maybe how this could have happened. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I grew up in an area that was maybe half Republican, half Democrat. And so, uh, but even though now I'm in the Berkeley area, um, I, it, which is way more liberal, and I had culture shock, and I, uh, felt like people were looking down at me for being a Christian. And so he wanted to tap into that 
And so he, I stopped white Mexican and we started developing, um, born again in Berkeley. And, uh, I performed the first part one and part two. I say there's four parts, part one and part two, uh, right before the midterm election in October, 2018 at this festival. And then I wrote part three and I performed that. And then I wrote part four and then everything shut down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, cause we were going to get ready to do the whole thing, um, in April, 2020 and, uh, it didn't happen. And so I put that on hold. I put a pin in it, did other short stories during zoom, but now we're back. Uh, my solo performance class, there's one class that's in person and we are trying to finish it <clears throat> all the way to the end, full length. But um, on October 4th and 18th, I'm going back to the beginning because I haven't performed it in like a year and a half. The first 20 minutes, uh, Born Again in Berkeley, about being a a born again Christian in the Berkeley area. (laughs) So go get your tickets. Go to the website and uh, it's on the in our in our links here in the comments. And I'll make sure that if you're listening to the audio replay that it's in the show notes, but the marsh.org. And this is also where you could go if you want to write your own one-person show, take one of their classes. And uh, Teresa is available. You can reach out to her on Instagram and all the social. She's very active on Twitter and that kind of stuff. So we will also link that here as well. Tbabe29, if you want to find her on the gram, uh, we'd love to make sure that we are supporting great local talent like Teresa. I am so stoked, I, you know, just to know you for 20 some years and watch your journey. And it's super inspiring. And you are a brave maker, Teresa. And we're so glad that we could have you on. Uh, anything else you want to say before we go into our brave faves? Anything else you like insp- inspirational drives that other performing or aspiring performers could uh, take away from your your journey? You know, I mean, something Steve Martin said, uh, and this might, this really resonated with me because I think they asked him something like, how do you do this? Or how do you keep doing this regards to performance? And he said, it's not something that necessarily that I always want to do. It's something I have to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and that's how I feel. So if you have that thing in you where you're like, I don't always want to do it, but I have to do it. I mean, you know, just keep going, follow that instinct because, you know, people will say to me, oh, you're so brave. I'm like, I don't even know if it's brave. I just <laughs> I have to get it out. So um, just to, to, if you have that in you, I mean, just go for it. You know, I mean, it'll be hard, but uh, it'll be, it'll be worth it. Yeah, I get that. I love that. Yes, you have to. 100%. You have to go for it. Right on, Teresa. Well, stay and hang with us for our favorite part of the show. All right, what you got? We'll start with you, Christina. Yeah, so as we started the show, we were talking about Tony on to his sequel, and we're always writing and trying to do films, and it takes money. It takes cash continuously. We need cash, right? We got to fund these projects. So I am, I've gone back to school. So I originally went to business school and studied finance. That was years ago. 
And now I'm going back to it and I'm learning how to exchange uh, foreign currencies. I'm doing that at babypips.com. It's completely free. So the School of Pipsology is the most popular Forex trading course on the planet Earth. No, they're not paying me to say this. Maybe even on Mars. And their online courses are made for beginners just to help you understand how to exchange currency. So if you've ever gone to another country and you had to exchange that money, there's an opportunity there for gains. So that's what I'm doing. I'm learning how to uh, trade foreign exchange, uh, foreign currencies to raise money for our creative projects. And that's my brave fave. And Come on. Here, Tony. Yeah, let's get make, it going. Make that chatter. Make that yeah, chatter. I, I love it. <laughs> All right, Teresa, what's your fave of the week? Okay, so are we talking about... Uh, is this where I talk about my favorite show on Netflix right now? You got it. You got it. <laughs> I I just fell in love with a show. It's been on for a while, but I didn't realize it. Uh, in English, it's called Money Heist. Uh, in Spanish, it's called uh, La Casa de Papel. I'm saying that right. My Spanish is very rusty. But uh, it's now up to five seasons on Netflix. I just discovered it. I just finished binging the first two seasons, and it is awesome and amazing. The acting, the casting is done really well. I used to in casting, so I'm very particular about that. And the writing uh, and the suspense, it nails the suspense. And it does a great job uh, having protagonists on both sides of this, of this heist. <laughs> which is like what you think there'd be just the good guys and the bad guys, but it's not like that. And it's just, uh, it has amazing characters who you continue to root for, <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, it's just really well uh, scripted and developed show. Money. Love heist. I second that. Yep. I love there's that. There's so many shows movie. out there that I've never heard of. I love it. I love hearing about new shows. Awesome. Thank you. Well, my brave fave, usually I go for the shows and films as well, but today I am uh, faving an app. Uh, this app is called Felt, Felt app. Have you heard of this? So it is from your phone, obviously. You can send cards. You can just take a picture and you can put it through your phone into this amazing little app. And all of a sudden you can send a picture to your mom or your grandma or your aunt. And I'll tell you what, like for me, I wish I had more time to spend writing handwritten letters because I know people really value them. And so especially my, my parents. <laughs> so I downloaded this uh, and it's about four bucks a card, which when you go to Target or you buy a card somewhere, they're about four or five bucks and I can personalize it. So I can take a picture of my kids and my dog and I boop, 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 and I can personalize it. Love you, you know, your son, Tony, and boop, send it and it's four bucks. And so I have been using this and I'm trying to go, at least for my family that I know values words, once a month send them you know, something in the mail because we often don't. We're just a text culture and I love texting and all that stuff, but some people value cards. So if you feel that pressure to send cards, this is great for you, especially as Christmas and Thanksgiving comes up. Felt app and it's free and you just pay for the, the, the card, which is usually about four bucks. And you can also add gifts and stuff to it, which I never do because those seem expensive, but that's my brave fave, the Felt app. 
app. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, this is uh, September 24th. We're so glad that you watched us. If you're watching us live or on the replay, we really appreciate reshares as well as supporting our makers like Teresa Donahoe. Uh, please go and follow her at tbabe29 on all the socials and go to themarsh.org and buy some tickets and watch in person or via Zoom and take some classes. We are trying to uh, continue to expand what Brave Maker does by helping and supporting artists like yourself. We love uh, those of you who are following us and subscribing on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel with, as Christina says, with the uh, notifications turned on, please do. And Christina, do you know who we have on the show next week? Edward Green, filmmaker. He has Pick a Side. It is on Amazon Prime. So we're going to be talking to him next, uh, this coming Wednesday. So go ahead and take a look at his film called Pick a Side. We're excited to talk to him. And don't forget, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So you can, like Teresa, become a monthly donor. In fact, we would love that. We need more support, everything from our lights, our C-stands, as Teresa acknowledged earlier, this, uh, the rent, our insurance. We're having a big, big party on the 29th of October. It is a Friday night and it is, what is it, Christina? Tell us about this party on the 29th. We want people to come to it in person. This is our Brave Maker Halloween fundraiser costume party and there's going to be live music by none other than RBYN, who is my little sister. And Tony and I are currently working on a documentary with her. I'm in his screenwriting class and he's helping me hammer out that script. So we'll be filming this is like art imitating life, life imitating art. Uh, and there goes the flyer. You definitely want to join us for this event. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have a ton of fun. And you could win something pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's all by donations. Donate what you can. Yeah. We encourage people to consider a $25 or $50 donation. But there's also some free tickets if you're unable to donate or just donate whatever you can. And we are excited to have a DJ, dance party, good dessert. Yeah. And we have a great event planner in Abby Sylvester from San Francisco. So that, uh, that link will be in the show notes as well as, as, as in the comments. And if you don't, or if you're not able to access that, just go to our website, bravemaker.com. That is where it is. And uh, we would appreciate it. and would love to see you there. So uh, that's it. That's all we got. Follow us on all the socials at bravemaker.bravemaker.org or you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all that kind of stuff. And we're so grateful for our guest, Teresa Donahoe, yes, uh, who's amazing. Good luck with your show. Good luck with uh, Born Again in Berkeley. I love that we can be people of faith as well as creative artists and embrace all the quirky awkwardness to life in every which way. <laughs> we always end the show by saying, brave stories change the world. And you are the story. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Hang out with us for a minute, Teresa. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Brave stories change the world. You are the story. Text the word Brave Maker to 44321 or go to bravemaker.com slash donate. Thanks for tuning in.